This time we're going to open our Bibles to Luke chapter 2, if you would. But we are going through this Advent season. It's a box office Christmas, and we're looking at clips of different popular Christmas movies. And this one today, as we think about Imagine a World Without Joy, we're going to watch a little clip from The Grinch That Stole Christmas. It's a long time ago, the old cartoon one. And uh, that's still my favorite one, although Jim Carrey does a good job as well, and others. But um, as we set up this clip, man, is there anybody in this room who hasn't seen it? Let me ask that. Everybody's seen it. Okay, good. But anyway, it's, uh, toward the, it is at the end of it. Uh, when the Grinch realizes that despite all the traditions being taken away, all the presents, all the trees, and everything else, that that's not what Christmas is all about. So let's watch on the screens, the end of The Grinch Stole Christmas. Every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it came just the same. And the Grinch with his Grinch feet, ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes or bags. He puzzled and puzzled till his puzzle was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. Christmas came through, and the Grinch found the strength of ten Grinches, plus two. And now that his heart didn't feel quite so tight, he whizzed with his load through the bright morning light. With a smile in his soul, he descended Mount Crumpet, cheerily blowing hoo-hoo on his trumpet. He rode into Whoville, he brought back their toys, he brought back their floof to the Who girls and boys. He brought back their snoof and their tringlers and fuzzles, brought back their pantukas, their dafflers and wuzzles. He brought everything back, all the food for the feast. And he, he himself, the Grinch, carved the roast beast. 
Welcome Christmas, bring your cheer. Cheer to all who's far and near. Christmas Day is in our grasp, so long as we have hands to clasp. Christmas Day will always be just as long as we have we. Welcome Christmas while we stand, heart to heart and hand in hand. Great story, great stories. Many of the Christmas stories are the movies or things that we watch. But as we think about that, just the three takeaways. The Grinch was a miserable person. He was very miserable, very unhappy, didn't have any joy in his life. And second of all, he wasn't content to just be miserable for himself, but he uh, wanted to bring misery to other people. And isn't it true that hurt people hurt other people? And so that's what he did, if you know the story. And then, of course, at the end, he decided to change his perspective. He began to understand that joy was found in the heart, not in the things that you have. That heart of joy became generous. That heart of joy became contagious. And these thoughts are a microcosm of this message this morning. See, we see evidence all around us of people who are without happiness, without joy in their life, and they're looking for it, but it exceeds their grasp. We see it when they act out on the pain and the struggles in their lives, and sometimes things that are undealt with, with issues, when even when they were children, growing up with their parents and other things as their personality is being formed. We think about some of the incidents that have occurred in recent days. Just this week, a 15-year-old boy in Pontiac, Michigan on Tuesday gunned down a number of his fellow students at Oxford High School. Four people died. Seven more were injured in the gunfire. Just a week ago yesterday in Waukesha, Wisconsin, a man drove his SUV through police barriers and purposely ran down people in a Christmas parade. He killed six people and injured 60 because of his anger over racism. Now, a decade ago in Portland, Oregon, a 19-year-old Somali-born American citizen wanted to blow up Christians at a Christmas lighting event in downtown Portland. He was told there would be lots of children there, and he was happy that so many of them would die. These are the extreme cases. There are so many out there during this Christmas season who do not have any joy or happiness in their hearts or anything to give them hope that they can get those things into their lives. Joy and happiness are similar but yet different. Joy is more than an emotion but a certainty that the best is going to come no matter what the circumstances say. Happiness is based on the current circumstances that we're in. Joy is that undercurrent for the Christian that flows through our soul no matter the circumstances, good or bad, that come our way. And happiness is a great thing. We enjoy doing things that make us happy, but we just need to be mindful of the fact that those things are short-lived, that they come and go. Kids will celebrate <clears throat> at Christmas, and they'll be happy for a short while until they get down the street and find out what maybe some of their friends got. Maybe they have something better than they have. Or maybe their toy or the object that they wanted so badly at Christmas breaks, or they find something else to bring them happiness. We think of going to concerts. Concerts are great. It's a time of euphoria, of spending money and going and being in a crowd and seeing your favorite artist live in an event. And you experience it together. Mountaintop experience of going on a retreat, going away for a weekend with either other people, like at a Christian camp or whatever it may be. Those mountaintop experiences are great. Your team wins 
the championship. I still have my 2005 Pittsburgh Steeler Super Bowl championship video. I haven't watched in a long time. I guess I better. But, you know, we hold on to those things because those are happy moments, happy events in our lives. But an example of joy being better than happiness is that of a wedding day. Because when the bride comes down the aisle and the whole ceremony and everything, that's something that you hold on to and you cherish, that commitment, that beginning of joy when you come together as a husband and wife to carry on through the rest of your life. Joy is that river of current that can flow through all of life while the pleasant times and storms may come our way. We take for granted the joy that prevails through the undercurrent of our life in Jesus. And so that's, I'm not really going to preach anything new today, but it's just a reminder. It's just also an opportunity to uh, tap in more into that joy, but to share it with others at this Christmas season, because that's what this season is all about. We talked about hope last week. So as Christians, we get so isolated at times with our Christian friends and our media choices and coming to church that we don't always see what others face without the joy of Christ. But it begins in the New Testament in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. The angels brought the message to the shepherds on that dark and unassuming night. And I hope you have your Bible open to Luke chapter 2, verse 10. As the shepherds watch their sheep on the lonely hillside, God sends angels to appear and give these lowly shepherds a message that would change the world. Read together. Let's do it out loud. Let's read it together. And if you need the up here on the screen, because we're doing it in the ESV, let's say it together. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. Well, we want to explain and share how to experience this great joy. And of course, it begins with the gospel. It begins with making sure that we have a relationship with the one who created you, with the one who sent his son to die on the cross and to build that bridge between sinful man to a holy God by being willing, as we said at communion, to uh, demonstrate his love for us by dying on the cross and giving us eternal life. Let's focus, first of all, on your outline, the fact that, first of all, Jesus desires for us to live a joy-filled life. Jesus desires this. He wants every believer in this world to live a joy-filled life. In John chapter 16, Jesus was getting his disciples prepared for when he was about to leave planet Earth. He was going to be crucified. He would rise again three days later. He would stay on the Earth another uh, 40 days, and then he would ascend into heaven. And he knew that, and as he was getting ready to leave, he shared these words with them. Jesus knew that, what, that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You'll be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish 
for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me, and truly, truly, Jesus said, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have, received, you have asked nothing in my name, asking you will receive it, that your joy may be full, that your joy may be full. Jesus talks about a joy that no one can take away from believers. It's an amazing thing. The only joy, the only reason that we don't experience the joy all the time is that we allow it to, uh, to wane or decrease when we allow sin into our life or a lack of repentance over our sin. Or we're not spending time in relationship with our Heavenly Father in the Word of God through prayer, gathering together in corporate worship and other ways. Remember the picture of the prodigal father in Luke chapter 15. You know, as you see that, he's waiting on his porch, looking down the road. He gave his son his inheritance early. His son has gone away and squandered it. And he's waiting there for his son to return. And of course, we know he finally does. But guess who's the one who left? It wasn't the heavenly father. He was there all the time. And so if your joy is waning or decreasing or you don't sense it, you need to get alone with God and to ask him what it is that you need to do, like David said in Psalm 51, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Jesus talks about in that passage in John 16 about joy that is full and complete. He uses the example of a pregnant woman. Now, I cannot express in any way what it's like for a woman to have to go through pregnancy, especially the part of labor and giving birth. And many of you in this room, ladies, can uh, give a testimony to that. But what's interesting is I noticed as my wife gave birth to three kids that shortly after the pain of birth, when you're holding that bundle of joy, you think it's worth it and you kind of forget, I would assume as a mother, you forget about all that pain because this new life, this miracle is worth it. And that's what he's saying, that you're going to go through trials and tribulations and it's going to be painful. But guess what? The joy, the joy will be in you full and complete until we see Jesus face to face. These verses serve as some of the best in what Jesus speaks about when we use the word joy. And when you come to faith in Christ, you experience the fullness of joy. And if you're a believer now, you know what it's like. You have this sense of joy that flows through your soul and in your heart. He desires at the end of these verses to make our joy complete by asking him for anything in his name through now uh, the context of the Holy Spirit. And then we see in seeking a joy-filled life, we must deal with trials and persecution. Jesus alluded to that in these verses, trials and persecution. In James chapter 1, verse 2, he said, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now that word count, it means to consider to deem it so, to act as if it is so. So we are, when we face trials, we are to count it all joy. And he goes on to express why. He's building perseverance into our life. He's building maturity. He's making us into his image. We are all experiencing difficulties and trials of various kinds. And I believe that our current society is putting tremendous stress on how we live, especially as Christians. Our values are being challenged and there's more work to do in the workplace now with less people. I talk to people who are 
uh, you know, on the front lines of retail at Christmas, and they're just overwhelmed with all that's going on because of less and less people involved in the workforce. Stress is good in certain situations, but too much stress can cause a lot of physical and psychological pain. Stress is good when you face having to give your first speech in college or in high school. I don't know if you remember those days. Uh, I did have to take a homiletics or preaching class, but before that, I had to take a class with Mr. Pantana in freshman speech. And oh, it was fear and trepidation to get up there the first time with your note cards and make sure you didn't go too short because you tend to read really fast when you're doing your first speech, right? And then I wanted to have, went on to have Mrs. Davis. As she taught us about storytelling and all these things. But stress is a good thing because it gets us alert and ready. Stress is good for an athlete before a game. Stress is good when someone is preparing a project or a presentation at work and wanting to make sure everything is just right. Stress can keep you focused and alert when the time comes to perform. But stress, improperly dealt with or staying under stressful situations, it's like redlining the car, you know, the RPM meter on your car. If you do that too long, your engine is going to blow. And if we don't deal with stress in our lives, um, you know, in short increments, rather than it being a continual thing, bad health issues are going to occur. People get ulcers. People get panic attacks. Bad behavior. Sometimes people do the most bizarre things that are outside of their normal character because of the amount of stress that's placed upon them. Withdrawal and avoidance of situations altogether in people. Bad relational issues, anger, withdrawal, unresolved conflicts. These are all a result of undue stress in our life. And so it's very important that we have the proper perspective on trials, why they occur, where they come from, and how biblically we need to respond or deal with them. In persecutions, we trust God to take us through them and give us the words to say and not to say. When you're challenged at work about maybe your values on things, and those values are rooted in God's word. Or maybe a boss, you know, I've had to, I had to leave a job one time uh, because a boss was challenging me on some of my Christian values. And sometimes you don't know what you're going to say or what you're going to do in those situations. And in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus gives us some advice. He says, and you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. He will help you in those times of persecution, what to say and even what not to say. That's an important part of it as well. The persecution of Christians began shortly after Jesus' birth, as you know. Herod killed the male babies too and under to try to eradicate the king of the Jews coming and threatening his authority and power. And then in seeking a joy-filled life, we must avoid the counterfeits. The counterfeits. There's so many things out there. Watch the advertisements on TV or as you're looking at Facebook or whatever you are and there's little ads pop up. There's so many things out there that describe if you buy this or do this, you will be happy. And that's true. That's true. But if you're seeking a joy-filled life, uh, you need to also avoid those uh, things that will be uh, short-lived and 
give short-term gratification if you're longing for that current of joy to flow through you. As we share in a moment, the world is always trying to counterfeit or imitate cheaply the joy only God can give. The problem we have as Christians is that we too often settle for the good and not for the best in our lives because we aren't always willing to uh, do what it takes in the long term to wait for what's the ultimate best. I've shared this quote before, but it's one of my favorite, and I think about it a lot, C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. God wants to give us the full complement of his joy in our lives. So we battle with waiting patiently or doing what it takes in obedience to God to receive the fullness of joy. In seeking a joy-filled life, we must continually draw from the well of overflowing joy. You know, God has this well. He talks about it in John chapter 4, the spring of living water that flows to all believers. And we think, well, we can tap into it. Maybe we're going to tap it dry. But do you realize we're only taking from the overflow of what God has for us? In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, Peter writes, Though you have not seen Jesus, you love him. Though you do not now see Jesus, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. As I said, I believe there's this current of living water running through my heart and soul. And I believe it came in at the point of salvation. And I could sense right away at that time of salvation that there was something different. That I could look at circumstances and perspectives and people and their relationships with me in a different way. And in surrendering to that current of living water and drinking from that water, in my weakness, I grow stronger each and every day. That I can sustain more attacks. That I can use the gifts that God has given me in more opportune situations. Our joy should be growing more and more as we grow closer to heaven each day. We're building on the confidence and experience of sensing that joy in the good and the bad of our lives. God helps us through these experiences to continue to grow and build our faith and to give us the full complement of joy. So here's our application. Rely solely on the joy that flows in our soul that we received when we were born again to be the energy to live out the Christian life. <clears throat> it's impossible to live out the Christian life apart from the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. It's hard enough to do it with the Holy Spirit, right? Because we let our, our flesh gets in the way sometimes. But we need to rely solely on the joy that flows in us because we have the paraclete, the one that's come alongside of us, the one who is there who is with us always. The second main point is Jesus fills us with joy through the Holy Spirit. We're going to focus in on him for a few moments. Joy comes by daily being filled with the Spirit. <clears throat> Ephesians 5.17 says, Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Do not be drunk with wine, we're in his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. You know, we, we need to invite the Spirit to have full control of our lives 
as we wake up each morning. In Galatians 5.22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Notice there's nine different manifestations of the Spirit, and joy is one of them. Notice also at the end of verse 23, against such things there is no law. Something I learned very early in my Christian life, that these are things that you don't have to conjure up. You don't have to necessarily work them up, but they're there. Now, some of those are stronger and more dominant based on your personality and your spiritual gifts, but you have the raw ability through the Holy Spirit for these things to manifest themselves in your life. These should be natural outcomes due to our faith. These are the outflow if we are surrendered and inviting the Holy Spirit to fill us daily. We have all the Holy Spirit we need in this life, but here's the question, does the Holy Spirit have all of you? That's the question we're battling with each and every day. This is a baseball glove. I sure miss playing softball, getting too old for that, but still have my baseball glove. This baseball glove is of no value if I just hand it off to you. But once you put your hand in it, it becomes very valuable, especially if you played third base like I did for so many years, the hot spot. And you know what? Your hand controls the glove. What's your life like without asking the Holy Spirit to fill you? It's like this, but if you let the Holy Spirit fill you, it comes in and it bends and moves the glove to do what it needs to do in order to be successful or do what God wants you to do. That's a picture of what the filling is on a daily basis. Joy in verse 23 of Galatians 5 means gladness. It's joy received from someone. It's a joy, a cause or occurrence of joy. It's of persons who are one's joy. People can be your joy as well. A point under this says, joy comes in allowing God to use you. Isn't that amazing? I still am amazed and, and wonder that God could use anything to carry out his work. But what does he choose to do? He chooses sinful people who will walk and obey his word. It's amazing. And so joy comes in allowing God to use you. In Acts chapter 13, verse 49 Paul and Barnabas, they were being used of God. They were traveling around. They were planting churches. They were facing opposition. And it says in Acts 13, And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region, but the Jews incited the devout women of high standing, and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off their dust, the dust from their feet against them, and went to Iconium, Notice what he says in verse 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Paul, even in the midst of adversity, found and lived on joy. He found joy in reaching new people with the message of Christ's gospel. He took very little thought for his own personal protection and comfort. He approached life as a calling and that he was indestructible. He believed until the day God called him home. He was constrained or compelled, he would say in another place, by the love of Jesus toward him to plant churches, to disciple people and win others to Christ. We've seen God at work in many ways here in our church, even the last few months. I'm just grateful on November 17th, the culmination of, 
of, of hard work by a number of people to see uh, four of our kids come to faith in Christ at Awana. And it began with, as I mentioned about a week or two ago, with uh, the promotion that went out from the church office and the door hangers. And many of these kids that came to Christ were because of the door hangers, the 500 door hangers that we went out and put on doors for VBS. Then all the workers God used to bring together, all 39 of you who were here and prepared and poured into these kids' lives. And then for the Awana leaders who built relationships with these kids, all God is using along the way to bring people to Christ. Teamwork evangelism. The Bible describes the different ways or words that he uses to how he uses us. First of all, one of the things he says is that we are vessels of honor. That's how he looks at us. We are vessels of honor if our life is, you know, ask God to forgive us of our sins and we're clean before him. Another word he uses is an instrument. Just like Moses had a rod, we are an instrument. I love the picture of being a jar of clay, jar of clay, 2 Corinthians 4, where the gospel is in an earthen vessel, and we are to show forth the gospel. In Matthew 5, he talks about us being the light of the world, the salt of the earth. In Romans 12, we are living sacrifices on a daily basis. We crawl up on the altar and we surrender. We are ambassadors of Christ, Paul said, and we are a sweet aroma and the fragrance in the nostrils of God. You're all these things in God's sight and more as we think about how he desires to use us. And then joy comes when we expect God to show up and do a work. When we expect God to do a work, that, that requires faith. That requires looking beyond the circumstances. That requires, uh, you know, focused on what God says in his word. It says in John 14, 12, this passage has always fascinated me. Because you think about who is saying these words, Jesus. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he could have stopped there, but he didn't. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Can you imagine the Son of God is saying that after I leave, people beyond me with the Holy Spirit are going to do greater works than I even did on this planet. That's expectation. Daniel eleven thirty two 32, it says, But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits or great works. Romans 12, 2, verses I've been, this verse I've been um, claiming through the COVID time, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Jeremiah 33 says, Call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things. We can find joy in the hope that the best is yet to come that we can have the patient endurance in the middle of tough times, that we remain joyful as we connect with God regularly in prayer. God is active and he's working in and through our lives. He is not a stagnant God. And we can get up each and every day with expectation and joy, knowing he wants to use you and I and that our faith should continue to grow. So here's our application. Reflect on the words God uses to describe as his vessels for his use. That'd be a great... Bible study to look up the verses that God uses to describe us, who he wants to use. Lastly, this morning, Jesus wraps up his gift of eternal joy and gives it to us. He wraps up this gift of eternal joy and gives it to us. We see, first of all, the gift of his presence. 
to me, when I became a believer, that was one of the most exciting things to know that Jesus, that God, that the Holy Spirit was going to be with me wherever I go. Because I was in a stadium, you know, Three Rivers Stadium down there in Pittsburgh, I would, Jesus would be there. If I was in a, in a dark place in the middle of the night, I'd wake up at 3 a.m., can't sleep, Jesus is there. He's ever-present with us. He says in Psalm 1611, a verse that talks about the here and now, but the future. The writer said, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God is revealing to us each and every day the plan and the path that we are to take on this journey of life. And as we walk with him here, he's ever present with us, experiencing what we experience and filling us with joy as we obey what he tells us to do. We need to tap into God's wonderful resources now, and then they will be fully open to us when we get to heaven and we see Jesus face to face. Second of all, the gift of his rewards. The joy that comes from the rewards that we will give, that he will give us. In Matthew 25, it says, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Because you've been obedient, because you follow me, you're going to get this uh, greeting. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Everything that brings joy to God will be at our availability to use. The greatest greeting at heaven's gate that could come from God the Father and Jesus are these sweet words. And I hope as a believer today that you live for that moment. To hear that, I hope that's the motivation of your heart as well. There's a story about this mountain in Bihar, India, and a gentleman by the name of Rantandra Das, he was 53 years of age, well, he and his workers had to travel four and a half miles every day around this mountain just to get to the fields that they had planted to work them and to harvest them. And it was such a chore to get up every day. You got to walk four and a half miles out and four and a half miles back. You got to bring food. You got to bring water. So he got tired of it. He found a narrow place in the mountain. And he took a hammer and a chisel. And he began to chisel away. And with just a hammer and a chisel, he cut a 33-foot-long, 13-foot-wide tunnel through a narrow area of the mountain. It took him 14 years to complete this task. He wasn't the first person to do that. He was motivated by another villager who cut a 393-foot-long, 33-foot-wide, 26-foot-high passage through another mountain so the villagers could get to a hospital. His motivation was the fact that his wife had died because he was unable to get her to the hospital in time. Don't give up. Persevere. Step by step, a little bit at a time, and God will bring the reward in the end. And lastly, the gift of his sacrificial death on our behalf. As we think of this being Communion Sunday, it's important that we don't become callous to the story of the crucifixion of Christ. Think of Hebrews 12 too. It says, looking to Jesus, the author or the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I cannot even begin to describe how Jesus viewed the cross from his perspective. The God-man who willingly limited his attributes as God came at Christmas to wrap himself up in human flesh. 
Think about it. He had to live in the womb of Mary for nine months or so, whatever that was, before being born. He walked among us. He faced life just as you and I do. He spoke our language. He was tempted in all points to sin, as you and I do, but yet was without sin. He knew all the time that his total focus was to die a torturous, excruciating death, and yet he looked right through that experience, as the verse says, and saw that joy that was set before him. And what was that joy? I think it's twofold. First of all, his reuniting with the Father and his exaltation back to his right hand. But the other joy was his desire that no one he had a part in creating would be unable to go to heaven if they choose to receive him as Savior and follow him. In John 15, 13, it says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. He desired everybody would come to a knowledge, a saving faith, and know him as Savior. Our application here is receive the gifts that will provide us joy in the here and now and into eternity. If you think things are tough now, just think about what heaven's going to be like. I'm convinced that 30 seconds after we get into heaven, we'll forget about all the trials and the tribulations and the pains and the debts and all the things in this life because it'll all be gone and we'll have new bodies and we'll see our Savior face to face. Receive the gifts that will provide us joy in the here and now and into eternity. And may we sense that joy in our lives that Jesus had and so freely offers to all who know him, who follow him, who trust him and obey him. And here's our key thought. At this Christmas season, may we bask, and I mean take some time in wonder and amazement, bask in the river of joy that flows like a spring in our hearts out of the well of the Holy Spirit daily despite what we may encounter. Think about that idea of that overflowing spring that Jesus talked to that Samaritan woman about. He said, if you drink of my water, you will never thirst again. The joy, the complete and fullness of joy that Jesus promised is available to us. So learn the lesson that the Grinch learned. That Christmas is from the heart and not wrapped up in the presents or the trees or the lights, the programs, the mistletoe, the parties or snow that may or may not come at Christmas. It's the joy found in Jesus that we can celebrate no matter what we may have to celebrate with this Christmas. Here's some things to ponder as we prepare to pray and then sing. Do you have an ongoing sense of joy in your heart? I hope so. Do you have an ongoing sense of joy going on in your heart? Second of all, how are you experiencing a sense of joy in the midst of trials, persecutions, or injustices in your life? How are you dealing with it? Do you take it to God? Do you try to deal with it in some other artificial way? And another thing to ponder this week, are you joyful in the hope of what God is going to do in your life? He wants to use us. Let's bow for prayer. So we think of this thing of joy. Maybe this Christmas season has been a struggle. We know some have lost loved ones in recent weeks and even in the last year. As we approach this Christmas season with an empty chair at the table, it's difficult. No matter what you're going through, though, like the Grinch did, it's a matter of perspective. And when he realized and changed his perspective, joy overflowed in his heart. May that be your prayer and my hope for you today. Father, we lift up these needs before you. Lord, you know the hearts and lives of people that 
sit before me and that are on the live stream as well. And you know the concerns, the stresses, you fill in the blank, whatever it is that people are going through at this time. But Lord, help them to tap into that living water that's so available to fill us with that undercurrent of joy. And maybe some need to say, Lord, I just need to come back to you and ask for forgiveness since you would restore to me once again the joy of my salvation. We pray and ask these things this week in Jesus' name. Amen.